0: The title of the message is simply called, How Did I Am Become I Was? (laughs) How did I am become I was? You can see a real pretty car over here, and now that car was all nice and clean. Now look at it now. How did I am become I was? The Bible here says in Philippians chapter 2, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now how many of you, when you hear that verse... You go back to when you were growing up as a kid and you heard some evangelist just, run, we got your own salvation with parents and trembling. You know, having all the hiccups and going on. But I, I want you to know this morning that this was written to the church. Salvation had already come. They'd already experienced the salvation moment. They were already saved. Paul's here saying, hey, you, you served when I'm present, now serve when I'm absent. You serve when I'm, when I'm here, but now do something while I'm gone. And he goes on to say, so you got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We've always relayed that, and we use that as an altar call. The Bible says you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that's not really what it's talking about. It's not, it, salvation has already come to us. We, we read this verse, and guess what? This is a church-written scripture. So says, we have to work on it, though. What's it mean to work out our own salvation? We know that, that this is not telling us we work for salvation, right? right? This isn't saying I have to do so many good things or help so many people across the street or give so much money or buy so many Easter eggs so they can feed kids or clothe kids. I, that doesn't mean I have to work for my salvation. That's not what that means because we, we read in Ephesians that we are saved by grace through God. It's a gift, right. not by works, lest any man should boast is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. So what does it mean to work out my own salvation? What's it mean to work Work out your own salvation does not teach salvation by work. It speaks not of working in, but of working out one's salvation. Think about that. It's not about working in salvation. I'm working out my salvation. I'm exposing my salvation to the world. I don't work to get it, I'm now working to show it. Amen. Not of acquiring, but of expressing. Not of obtaining, but proclaiming. That's what it means to work out my salvation. I'm not obtaining salvation through works, but Now I'm proclaiming my salvation through what I'm doing for Jesus Christ. Salvation always starts with God. Let's be honest about that. It always starts with God. Pastor Mark just had an awesome series. We had a four-week series on I Am Revival. And then that whole concept of that whole message, that whole series was based on us taking the spoon, our spiritual spoon, and stirring ourselves up. Guess what? That's working out your salvation. That's you working on your salvation. If you really want to be revival, guess what? you got to stir yourself up. That's right. It's not my job to stir you. Amen. If you're waiting on me to stir you, you may be sticking to the side of the pan. <laughs> right? I love making peanut butter candy. It's been a long time since I made it. I know it's weird to say that. But my grandmother loved my peanut butter candy growing up. And I, I, it was at least once a week. Don, will you make me a batch of candy? I mean, that woman could cook, but one thing she didn't make was candy very well, peanut butter candy, as well as I did. So she wanted my peanut butter candy. And one thing, when you cook that, I mean, you got that water and evaporated milk and the sugar and the butter, you've got to cook it to a certain temperature. It gets like the 180, and you got to stir it constantly. And guess what? If you're not stirring, it's going to start sticking. And some of you are waiting on me or Pastor Mark to stir you, and you're sticking to the sides. you got to stir yourself. You got to stir yourself. That's what revival really is. And that's what working out your salvation really means. I've got to now express it. I'm saved. It started with God. He saved me. Guess what? Now it's time for me to show the hourly expression of that. Salvation starts when you accept Jesus, but it never ends there. True salvation affects every part of your life. If salvation makes no difference in the way you live, what's the point of being saved? If it doesn't change the way you talk and the way you think and make big decisions, if it doesn't change your worldview and the way you evaluate your own self, why be saved? It has to change every aspect of your life. And that's where I'm working on it. It's, I'm working on it so it does change every aspect of my life. A salvation that doesn't change you is hardly worth having. It's hardly worth having. We will make an impact on the world by the lives that are visibly, observably, measurably, noticeably, and obviously different from the people around us. Our lives have to be all those things to make an impact on the world around us. We are to be different. We are to make a difference. Our values set us apart from the surrounding culture. Now, when Paul speaks of God uh, in verse 13, he talks about God. In, in verse 12, he talks about us working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And in verse 13, he talks about that God's working in us too. That's the beauty of it all. While I'm working, God's working on the inside. While I'm doing something, God's working on me too. And all I get to do is express that. I get to express that. We get the word uh, working there is the English word for energizing. That's what it means in the Greek. God is energizing me while I'm working out my salvation. I think about the energizer bunny. If there's been one marketing tool, that little bunny with that drum has done really well. Takes no actor. All you see, is doom, 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 doom. right? It keeps going and going and going and going. When I think of the word energize, that's what I think about. I think of an energizer bunny, and that's what God is doing inside of me. He is energizing me so that I can keep on going, so I can keep working out my own salvation with fear and trembling. He keeps going and going and God wants us to keep going and going for this microphone I have right here on it takes it takes energy to be present there's a battery inside of this thing believe it or not I know shock some of you every sunday we hope we try the but we hope the battery's charged right they're all they're all in the back they're all in charge rechargeable obviously and we put them in because we know they'll work we want them to work and when we turn the power on guess what you hear my voice very clearly, sometimes more loudly than others. You know, sometimes Pastor Mark will say, hey, I need you to turn me down just a little bit, right? <laughs> Why? Because we're a little loud. We're booming. But, but that battery energizes this microphone. Even when it's not turned on, there's power there. Right. That's true. Even when that battery's in there, even though it's not turned on, it's still fully energized. Amen. Just because I don't have it turned on doesn't mean there's no energy present. There's outlets all throughout this church. And at the moment, I don't think we're using the very, any single one of them unless somebody's charging their phone. Right? But I promise you, there's energy on the inside of that outlet. If you don't believe me, let your finger and stick it in there right now. Let's watch. <laughs> Heavy takers? All right, you trust me. Good. You trust me. I like it. There's an energy source there. Whether we see it or not, those things are Energized. And God is energizing us on the inside. Whether we're using it or not, whether we're we're seeing it or not, whether we're plugged in or not, whether we have it turned on or not, there's still an energy inside of us once we're saved. There's still something inside of us. The battery is fully charged. The electrons, neutrons, everything's working out. All we got to do is turn it on. We just have to turn ourselves on. It's not all being used. Some are empty. It's our job to plug into this power source and allow God to use us. But too often, we just choose to sit and watch everyone else. I've heard it said there are three types of people in this world. Those who make things happen. Those who sit and watch things happen. And those who wonder what's happening. That's right. Right. <laughs> There's some people that have no idea what's going on. They're just wondering, what's going on? What is happening? But let, me know, let me tell you this one. God is always the pursuer. Salvation starts with Him. As I said earlier. And God is always pursuing us. He's always pursuing us. He pursues the lost, the rebellious. In the Garden of Eden, it was not Adam and Eve who sought out God, it was God who sought out Adam and Eve. They had messed up, yet God was pursuing them. And maybe you've messed up in your life, but guess what? God is pursuing you today. He is coming after you. He's running aimless, not aimlessly, but he's running with an aim and a purpose to reach out to you. He's pursuing you. So it is throughout all human history, God is always the pursuer, the seeker, the good shepherd in search of his lost, the wandering sheep. If you're a Christian, it's not because you sought God, because God sought you.. That's right. Amen. Jesus told his disciples in John 15:16, "You did not choose me, but I chose you." Right. Paul wrote to the Colossians that we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved in Colossians 3:12. Peter referred to it as a chosen generation, of royal priesthood. God picked us. He picked us. He's pursuing us. He's chasing us. And once he chooses us, now it's it's up to us to work on this relationship. It's up to us to work on the inside as he's energizing us to express it to the world. As we begin this journey of understanding God's plan of restoration for our lives, it's important for us to remember... That it all starts with God. God is a pursuer and He's still pursuing you today. Fighting for you, empowering you, and restoring you. Why? Because He loves you. But somewhere in this salvation experience, somewhere from where we pray to prayer to where we are today. We went from I am blessed to I can't make it. We went from from, I am victorious to I hate life. I am has become I was. Our testimony is only 20 years out. Our resume has no current references to the goodness of God. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with remembering what God did to your life 20, 25, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 1 year ago. But there should be a current reference today. (laughs) I have a testimony every day I wake up. His mercies are are new to me every single morning. I have a testimony every day. I don't, I don't have to reference back. Back in 1975, I wrecked my bike and I didn't have a bloody knee. Right? That shouldn't be my only testimony of what God has done in my life. And again, I'm not diminishing the testimony of the past. Man, there has to be a testimony of the present. Because God's still God. He's still pursuing me. He's still loving me. He's still empowering me. So how did I am become I was? Well, at what point in our lives... Did we live, go from living this victorious, happy, blessed life to now we're kicking a can, humdrum, barely making it. You know, I'll never forget, we was down at Bible College, Victory Bible Training Center, and Pastor Darrell was teaching uh, one night, and it was really fun. I always remember, I always think about this, but, and I remember it growing up. You'd hear people stand up, just trying to make it to heaven by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> I'm just an old, unworthy worm. And he made, he made a statement. Next time you see him in Kroger. Uh, next time you see him in Kroger. I always say Kroger's and Kelly correct me. It's Kroger. Uh, next time you see him in Kroger. How you doing, you unworthy worm? <laughs> see if they like that. They may punch you in the face. But they stand in front of the whole church and tell you that, right? God's not wanting you just to get there by the skin of your teeth. That's right. He's pursuing you. He's empowering you. He's leading you. He's guiding you. Not to you just to barely make it. He wants you to get there in full stride, in full stride. So how do we get from I am to I was? You know, I was looking uh, on Facebook yard sale. How many of you ever get on Facebook yard sale? I have, I've bought, I've tried to buy some stuff on Facebook yard sale. Some of you try to sell stuff on Facebook yard sale. I think it's a great tool. Uh, it, It frees, it's a free market and it allows you stuff to show people to a lot of people. But I always, when I need a humor in my life, I always look at the cars for sale on Facebook. You ever look at cars, automobiles for sale on Facebook yard sale? I have a PowerPoint slide. So here's, let's pull that up. So here we have, uh, here we have a 2005 Mazda 6. That's what the Mazda was. See the am? See that over How pretty and nice and new. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's where it is today. Look at that. The whole fender is destroyed. And the person wrote wrecked two days ago. That's all they said. $1,500 or best offer wrecked two days ago. How did I am? Gets I was. They wrecked it, right? Go ahead and go to the next one. This one's one of my favorite ones. It's an 05 Chevy Cobalt. This is what a new Cobalt looks like. That's what the one they're selling looks like. And it says, 05 Chevy Cobalt recently rolled, but it still runs. Don't you laugh at my car. It turns on. And drives, it has new speakers, new head unit, it's a limited edition snowflake rims, brand new tires, $1,000 are best offer. But it don't even have a windshield, it don't have a back windshield, it's all dented. I rolled my car, let's sell it on Facebook. Right? I am, how I was. Man, you wrecked that thing, now you're trying to get rid of it, right? Go to the next one. We have a Mazda, man. Mazda must be highly volatile. We have an 04. Look at that car. Uh, This is what it looks like brand new. This is I am. This is I was. Look at that. Well-maintained, it said. (laughs) Well-maintained. That was well-maintained, all right. Have a 2.3 engine. Is in great shape. New winter tires. It's got new tires on it. Has a lot of new parts, AC compressor, new alterator. They said alterator. I'm not reading it wrong. They said alterator. (laughs) New rack and pin, all new lines. If interest, brand new stereo. No E on the O. And speakers. Look at that thing. That thing is mangled. $800. I guess the write-up alone makes it worth $800. Go ahead, last one. We have a 2000 Mustang. That's what it looks like new. No. The, picture, the picture looked fine on the body, it says needs driver's seat. <laughs> really? You want to sell a car that don't have a driver's seat? You're trying to sell me something and I can't even sit in it? What do I do, put a barstool in it? Knees, driver's seat. This is good. Bad fuel filter starts right up, but then shuts off. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll sell it on Facebook. Some lucky buyer for eight hundred dollars. Bring your own seat and hoping keep it rolling. (laughs) I saw another one. I I, I saw another one that was actually really funny. I I took a picture of this like six years ago. I never know why, and it made it in this message today. This is a newspaper. 2002 Lexus SC430 hardtop convertible. Needs hood repainted and fender repaired. Otherwise, excellent condition. <laughs> really? If I got to paint it and I need a new fender, it ain't in excellent condition. Amen. How did I am become I was? How did something so new and so glamorous and so pretty become that? I saw another one. was a 1987 Honda CRX. And it had this list of all you could do with it, then the list of all you could be wrong with it. And it basically ended up saying, you probably have to tow it home. It won't run. It needed everything. It needed lights. It needed turn signals. It needed battery. It needed brakes. But they wanted to sell it to you on Facebook. And if you wanted it, you could come and get it. How did I am become I was? Isn't that a lot like our spiritual life? We get saved, and we're this nice, shiny, pretty, new Christian, and Everything is perfect and life is perfect, and and we're just rolling through this thing, and all of a sudden we get hit, don't we? All of a sudden the airbags deploy, right? All of a sudden we get a flat tire, or the brakes go out, fuel filter goes bad. What happens to us now in our Christian life? We went from I am blessed to I am cursed, is what we think. We went from I am happy to I am sad. How did I am become I was? How do we get there? What happens to us? I'll tell you first things first is what you value, you'll maintain. If you value something, you'll maintain it. I like washing my cars. They're all not pretty cars. I have to just, all the kinder kids have wrecked them all in the last, last month and a half. They've done something. Every one of them has done something to their car in the last month. Thank God for a built-in body guy, D.L. Dickinson. Um, but I wash them cars... Because I pay for them. I want, kind of want them to look nice. I try to maintain them. I change the oil. I try to keep the tires, keep airing the tires. I keep the brakes. I try to keep them maintained. Why? Because I want them to last a long time. When, I, when, you, main, when, you, want, when you value something, you want to maintain it. Right? Unless you're Bob and Bobby Jean back there. They got a, they got a 2005 Toyota Camry that's got about 800 miles on it. <laughs> it's probably mint condition. He's on the original tank of gas. But hey, you get in that car, it's spotless. <laughs> uh, you know, he had that 77 Ford. I begged him for it, and he sold it before I ever got a chance at it. He said it needed too much work. If it's yours, Bob, it didn't need a lot of work, I promise. But we go from maintaining stuff to developing it and keeping it in shape to allowing things to slack and lag off. And we do the same in our spiritual lives, too. We're this shiny, bright, perfect Christian. Jesus is Lord, and everything's great. When the weather's good, when the sun is shining, when it's 75 and sunny outside, it's all good. But man, when things start happening in our lives, we quickly forget how good God is, don't we? We quickly forget how we were. I am, and we become this I was. Every one of those cars we saw in the pictures had an I am or a new car moment. Clean, shiny, smells good inside. Then someone buys the car and I am becomes I was, right? Yet over the course of time, the newness wears off. Wrecks happen, not maintaining, not caring about them. The same happens in us. We neglect ourselves, we don't maintain it. And guess what? We need restored. We need restored because of it. What we value, we take care of. What we value, we maintain. What we value, we do not neglect. We need to value our relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Philippians 2 here that Paul said, you're working when I'm there. You need to work when I'm gone. You need to work out your own salvation. It takes work, guys. Praying a prayer. If all you did was pray a prayer, guess what? That prayer didn't save you. When When I accepted Jesus Christ in my heart at Morning Star Baptist Church in 1986 in Ridgeview, West Virginia, that prayer did not save me. It's the one I was praying to that saved me. The one I was praying that I I can pray a prayer of faith and just say some words. And guess what? It doesn't change anything. But the one I was praying to, he is the one who saved me. Not the prayer. He called me. I reached out. He reached down. What's Petra said? Just reach up. He'll reach down, right? Right. When I reached up, he reached down. Just reach up. And he'll reach down. That's a good song. That's That's what we have to do. It's all about him. How did I am become I was? Understand this, God wants to restore your life. And more importantly, God can restore your life. Yet there are some reasons that we must be aware of that the restoration process to begin. There's three things that God laid in my heart that calls us to go from I am to I was. The good thing is, is these three things cause it, but they also can re- repair it as well. If we, if we address the issue. Number one, the very first thing, spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. Not just pride, but spiritual pride. The Bible says in Proverbs sixteen eighteen, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. The Message Bible says this, first pride, then the crash. That's kind of right. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. That's pretty brutal. I bust your bubble really fast pride promotes itself as self-sufficient rather than god sufficient attitudes like i can do it myself i do not need anyone else is common when we have spiritual pride another attitude is i want it my way saint burger king right this is jesus our culture screams this at us all the time doesn't it we want it our way if we can't have it our way then i want it changed Sad thing is, we have a world that's letting it change. We have a world that's allowing people to cry loud enough and they'll change things. Two people, three people can scream. Guess what? Those three people usually are louder than the majority. That's shameful. That's shameful. Unfortunately, our self centered society influences us more than we think. Too many people live the Caddyshack theme song I'm all right. Right? Kenny Loggins, 1981. I'm all right. That affects us in our Christian life. I'm all right. No, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. Right? We've all been there. Right? We're in the middle of a mess, and we come in with a smile. I'm all right. No, I'm fine. You pray for somebody else. I don't need prayer. I'm good. I'm good. No, God's busy. I got this. Isn't that that's pride? That's spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is hard to admitting. Hard. It's hard for them to admit the wrong. It rarely asks for forgiveness. It's often critical, rarely speaks praise, avoids vulnerability with others, doesn't listen to correction, foolishly tries to defeat sinful ha- habits without any help, and fails to truly put God first. Spiritual t- pride tells us we're okay. Now everyone else is, is not, but we're good. Right? You ever been there? Man, did you see... See what they posted on Facebook? Do you see what they said? Right? We're quick to judge everybody else, but man, be careful. Be careful. That's spiritual. No, no, again, I'm not saying if you question something, but I'm saying there's, there's a tendency. There are tendencies there that follow what spiritual pride represents. We all face battles, but there's nothing wrong with admitting that we need help. There's nothing wrong with admitting that I can't do this alone. It takes great spiritual maturity to say, I need help. It really does. When we admit we are declaring, I cannot do this on my own. I need Jesus to help me through this. I need my church family to help me through this. I will tell you today that Jesus Christ changed my life. And I will also tell you I'm not perfect. And I need help every single day of my life. I can't do it on my own. I need His guidance. I need His leading I need him in my life every single day. I need him. You need a savior, not an updated resume, not a new relationship. A savior is what is needed. You must be born again, Jesus told Nicodemus. You can have it all and still have nothing in light of eternity. We may not be able to speak for others, but we can speak for ourselves. We may not answer for others, even though we want to, but we will answer for ourselves. Therefore, our chief concern is not what is that we are doing right. We cannot help someone else if we're not where we need to be. Herein lies the problem in our Christian walk. We have to get past the yes to prayer to Jesus and start living a life of faith. We have to realize, you know what, it's okay to admit I need help. It's okay to admit I have a problem. Because, you know, the longer you push that back, guess what, the harder it is to address it. Like growing up as a kid, you know, you ever how many of you ever lied to your parents as a kid? Small kid, you know, five years old. The rest of you are lying to me. Don, where you been? Ah, uh. <laughs> you know, nah, you know, I was nowhere, you know. Where you been, Don? No, I'm my mom's. Awesome. <laughs> my grandmother lived right beside me. That was a good excuse. That was a good backup plan. And she would probably lie for me if they called up her. Yeah, he was here. <laughs> But how many of you know you find out later your parents hear from so and so? I mean, before Facebook, they all I have is a rotary dial. <laughs> and about eight hours later, they find out you weren't where you said you were. It <laughs> happened to anybody? Yes, sir. It's a bad day at the office, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good day, yeah. right? Pride stopped me from saying, uh, This is where I was. Pride stops me from saying, uh, Admitting. I'm telling you, the first thing to get back to I am. Is getting rid of spiritual pride in your life. Realizing, I need help. It's okay. It's okay to say, I need help. All right? It's okay to say that. And if you can't say that, then you may be fighting with spiritual pride. We can't do this alone. Number two, what standard do you measure yourself against? What standard do you measure yourself against? The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. Man, that's a bubble buster, buster, isn't it? We think we're all bright and intelligent and smart and God comes out and says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And right off the bat, God tells us, I'm the standard. I am the standard. You have to measure life against. I'm the standard. Second Corinthians ten twelve. listen to this. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some other of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with with one another, they are without understanding. When people go around just comparing themselves with other people to justify who they are, or justify their sin, or justify their mistakes, or justify their failures, guess what? You don't have very much understanding. What The Bible says, as humans, we sometimes see our sin is not all that serious. Yes, we lie, we lust, we cheat, but it's not as bad as rape and murder and adultery. We naturally claim our goodness and that we do more deeds good than bad. So most people believe they are fit for the kingdom of heaven if they've not committed the mortal sins. When in reality, we do not see the seriousness of sin as God does. God judges all sin on the same scale. When I was in physics class uh, in 1992, I had to take physics to finish my degree. I still don't know anything about physics. I can spell it, I think. Uh, I'm not Zach Bonham, who, who starts medical school. Zach starts medical school in the fall. How oh, awesome is that? Uh, got a living, couple of Living Faith Church scholarships. We're part of that, amen? When he's out saving lives, we, we invested in that. That's cool stuff. But I, so I'm sitting there in physics class. I got like a 28 on the test, and I got a C. Come on now, I got a C because he graded on a curve. I'd have got a B if some guy wouldn't have got a 92. Could have found that guy and punched him. We we try to grade our lives on a curve, don't we? Well, I know I got a 28, but Bobby only got a 40. I'm not, and Bobby's really smart, so I'm not too far from Bobby, so I'm grading myself on the curve, but we want to grade everybody else on a straight line, don't we? We judge everybody else on a straight line, but we're on a curve, because I tried. I wrote down the formula. I didn't know how to work it out. I think I got points for writing down the formula. Didn't know how to work it out, but I wrote down E-M-C squared. I got a point. I got a point for writing my name on the paper. Somebody, I think there was one guy that didn't get a point for that. He got to write his name on the paper. We cannot measure ourselves by the world's standards. If we do, we're always okay, right? If I measure my life based on Dave Bishop in spin class, I'm way behind Dave. If I measure my life on Mikey Means, if I measure my life on Butch Angle, right? I could always find someone that I'm stronger at in another area. You know what I mean? Because we'll find out. we got a file cabinet of people. Oh, okay, this is on humility. Oh, yeah, I know I'm better than him. I grade myself. Right? Right. We have a file cabinet of people we can grade ourselves on to standardize. God's the only standard. His standard is the only standard. Get rid of the file cabinet. We always look better than that one. The world tells us if you try hard, everyone wins. No, they don't. West Virginia lost last night. They don't get a banner. They didn't get the trophy. Kansas has the Big 12 championship trophy. Their name's on the trophy. West Virginia didn't get a trophy for trying hard. That's right. The Olympics, they give out three medals. Did you see that? Canadian hockey. They put the silver medal on that girl and she gave it back. She took it off. Because the U.S. beat them in gold for the gold. And they, they showed her in the ceremony. They put a, a, a medal on her. He, she took it off and put it back in her hand. Because she was that disgraced she lost. The Olympics don't give out ten medals. Well Bobby really tried. I know he failed eighteen times going down the downhills. We'll give him a medal for participation. They don't get a medal of participation in the Olympics. Yet yet in the world we give Oh, well everybody tries. sorry. Everybody gets a trophy. Man, when I grew up, if you weren't good enough to play, you didn't play. If you didn't win the league, you didn't get a trophy. We all get a hot dog and something at the end of the season. Right? We didn't get a hot dog every game. You go to, and I, I'm just guilty. Next, you go to soccer. Most kids go play soccer for the food. <laughs> you show up not soccer. They don't care if they win or lose, man. There's no Capri Suns and all that's coming. Now, Reese plays at it. She's at a different level. I mean, Reese plays for she's passionate. She's good at it. But, you know, if the little kids run around, it's all about Capri Sun and gummies. <laughs> right? And that same culture has creeped into us and spiritual. Mark, where's my Capri Sun? Where's my gummies, Mark? I showed up for church. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome next week? We give you all gummies, Capri Suns. <laughs> we have a packed house. Facebook Live. We're gonna have gummies and Capri Suns next week if you come to Living Faith. Maybe not, but it sounds good. We all want to compare ourselves. Everybody goes to heaven. The world tells us. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody don't get to heaven. Look at Chick Fil A. How many of you like Chick Fil A? Everybody loves Chick-fil-A except Amanda because she's allergic to peanuts. She's never had Chick-fil-A. Well, I think you had it one time you took, go, you know. Chick-fil-A is a Christian-owned business. And, man, it's a well-oiled machine. I'll say that. I mean, you go through the drive-thru and it's boom, boom, boom. I mean, some of you don't like it because they're at your face. What do you want to order? You know. There's 117 cars though, wrapped around the building. The goal is to get you in and get you out and get your food, right? They're closed on Sundays. You know what? There are people that are offended that Chick-fil-A decides they're going to close on Sundays. They get offended. I mean, if you really want a Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich, you can't get it on Sunday. It kind of stinks. But it's their standard that they're living by. It's a godly standard. They're, they're keeping the Sabbath day holy. And, and they're one of the most prosperous, one of the most well-liked, fast food restaurants in all the world. And I believe it's because they chose a standard that the world's not choosing. They chose, you know what? We keep the Sabbath day holy. We're not opening Chick-fil-A on Sunday. And I think God's blessed them for that. Their chicken nuggets are a little bit better because they're rating themselves at a different standard, a different level. Man, they are good chicken nuggets, I will testify. It's a different standard. Yet the world gets mad. That's a mean joke. I've done that to the kids numerous times. We'll go to the beach. I've done it to Zach Bonham one time. Hey, man, I'm buying Chick-fil-A today. It's Sunday. <laughs> I'm buying lunch today. Chick-fil-A on me. And all the light comes on. Hey, man, it's Sunday. <laughs> Come on, man. It's awful. I'll tell you a good one. Uh, Kevin's mom went and we had a church picnic a couple years ago. And her and her friends showed up and didn't know about the picnic. And rather than coming out to the picnic, they decided to go Chick-fil-A uh, <laughs> It wasn't open either. Uh God's standard starts with obedience. Starts with obedience. That's the standard we need to meet. It starts with obedience. Moses had to be obedient to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He lost his temper. He got frustrated. He had bad days. But his obedience led to the deliverance of a nation. Why? Because he graded himself on a different standard. Judges 3.31, this is really cool. After you had came Shamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He, too, saved Israel. Shamgar gets one verse in the whole Bible. One verse in the whole Bible. And all we know is he took an ox goad and he slew 600 Philistines. That's a pretty good verse. That's a pretty bad man, right? Six hundred. But it tells a lot about him. The nation of Israel was enslaved to the Philistines, but one man refused to be ruled by them. He took a tool of his trade, like David, and made it into a weapon of war. He had no army, no alliance. He had an ox goat and long stick used by a farmer to prod animals. What I find amazing about this one verse, we learned that Shamgar did lot what he could not do, keep him from doing what he could do. Not sure what happened, but Shamgar rocked the ox goat. A simple act of obedience. He could have tried to rationalize it away. I don't have the right weapon. I can't do this alone. But he went out there and slew 600 Philistines. Let me throw a quick jab at you. If you look for an excuse, you always find one. I promise you. Ah, There it is. If you look for an excuse, you always find an excuse. Noah had to be obedient when he built the ark. He built the ark 500 miles from the largest body of water. Think about what I just said to you. He's living in West Virginia, and the nearest body of water was Myrtle Beach. He didn't have a full-size Chevy Silverado diesel to pull that ark 500 miles down to the beach. He built, Think about that. 500 miles from the largest body of water, he built this massive boat out of obedience. Jewish legend goes on to tell us that he actually had to plant the trees before he could build the ark. He had to grow his own wood. Jewish tradition tells us. It's not in the Bible, but that's what Jewish tradition tells us. He not only had to build it, he had to grow it. He didn't have wood. He had to, he had to grow the wood. But a simple act of obedience saved two of every kind and his whole family. That was the standard he was measuring himself was God's standard. Not his standard, but God's standard. Noah built an ark because God commanded him to do it. It's what he was supposed to do. Sawing planks and hammering were acts of obedience. That's right. Longest act of obedience ever recorded in the Scripture 43,800 days. For 43,800 days, Noah was obedient every single day, doing what God told him to do build an ark. Noah found favor with God, too, the Bible tells me. Why? Because he was obedient. His standard was God's standard. Number three, solitude time required. Solitude time required. The Bible says in Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. John 3, 30 says, he must increase and I must decrease. Solitude means being Alone. Being alone, in this case, with God. Yeah. Spending some quiet time alone with God. For introverted people, the choice for solitude is fairly easy. <laughs> Their temperament inclines them to get away from people. For extroverts, I'm an extrovert, being alone is almost unthinkable because we draw energy from being with people. The only way solitude will make sense for an extrovert or a type A personality is remembering that solitude is being alone with God for personal growth and accomplishment. Solitude is being alone on purpose. It's being alone for personal renewal and refreshment. So I ask this question, when was the last time you truly were alone with God? I mean, no noise, no beeps, no kids, no spouse, no job, no responsibility, no Bible plan you had to get done. You and God alone. Quiet time. When was the last time? One of the problems with our world, it's it's difficult to be alone, isn't it? It's very difficult to be alone. The cost of being uh, always connected, always with constant social updates, instant messaging and email, will continually, we open ourselves to be available to others all the time, don't we? compound that with work and social functions, customer expectation, yet alone family time, we may never really have time to sort our thoughts out and discern and hear what God is speaking to our hearts, all because we're not getting alone with God. Now, I'm not going to tell you you got to spend X amount of hours or X amount of time, but I'm telling you, when you get alone with him, he will speak to you. And maybe that's why we avoid being alone with him, because we don't want to hear him speak to us, Right? We don't want to hear what he really has to say. Our culture trains us for motion and multitasking. And that's our issue. We think we can multitask with our alone time with God. I'm going to check my Facebook and talk to God at the same time. I got a like. Sweet. Somebody like my picture. Right? Oh, oh, sorry, God. God, you see that? Somebody like that. We can't multitask when it comes to being alone with God. Put the phone down. Put the computer away. Spend some time. Maybe it's just getting in the car and driving. But the problem is if you get in the car and drive, don't turn the radio on. I'd rather you not be driving because sometimes people like to close their eyes when they're in the presence of God. I'd rather your eyes be open when you drive. Right? I pray in the car. I hope not all the time. I hope you pray with your eyes open. Our culture trains us. To do that, You see, solitude removes distractions and leaves us for a few minutes or a few hours alone with God and the Holy Spirit. We never know what might happen when we're alone with God. And that's why we're afraid of. He might ask us to stop something. We don't want to start. He may ask us to start something, but we don't want to start. We don't want, we don't want that confrontation, so we avoid it. We'll miss his companionship, we'll miss his counsel, we'll miss his comfort, we'll miss his restoration, we'll miss his energizing if we avoid that solitude time. Have you ever noticed the amount of noise in our lives? Well, we live in a very noisy world. There are so many things begging for our attention. There are radios everywhere in your house. People carry them on when they got them strapped to their arms or in their pocket or in their hands when they're running, when they're exercising. Everybody is tuning everybody out. And then we even, sometimes we even drive. We think, I'm just going to go for a drive and I'm going to turn my radio off. And we pull up to a red light and the guy beside us makes sure we get to hear his radio, right? You know, you think, how is that possible? I don't hear very well and that's not possible. The whole windows are shaking. We live in a very noisy world. Our children want our attention. The boss wants to talk to us. We have phones that are constantly ringing when we leave the house. You carry them with you so folks can get in touch with us. We walk in the house. How many of you have done this? You just turn the TV on because it was quiet. How many of you have done that? It's all quiet in the house. just turn the news on. You ain't even watching it. You just have to have noise in the background. See what our world has done to us? You can never walk in to quietness. And God requires us to spend some alone time with him. I'm not even talking about reading your Bible. I'm talking about praying and seeking his face. Communication is a two-way street, as we always tell you here at Living Faith. It's me talking to God and Him talking to me. And so many times, it's me, 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 me. I'm out. Right? And God's left. I want to tell you something. I want to share something with you. God can be your refuge. He can be your strength. But only if you stop long enough to listen. Only if you stop long enough to let Him speak.